0: Psalm 16 in your Bibles, if you want to find your place there. Psalm 16. We're going to break away from our study of doctrine this evening. We will pick that up after Father's Day, and we will continue that for at least three more weeks, and then we'll change subjects as we move through the summer. Uh, But tonight we're going to do something a little bit different, and I invite you to find Psalm 16 in your Bible. There was a university that had a special concert and they had invited a very gifted pianist to come and to be a part of that special concert, that special night. The piano teacher at the university was a man who was simply called by the students as Herman. And one night, as this, this particular night, as this pianist was playing this incredibly beautiful number, he, he suddenly became ill and he had to leave the stage, and he had to leave the performance. Herman, who was the teacher here, the piano teacher here at this university, uh, walked up from the audience and sat down at the piano and began playing the rest of that beautiful composition. And The end result was that they had this beautiful number that was finished that the other pianists could not finish. A little bit later that evening, they had a party and all the kids got together. Some of them were interested to ask the teacher who they called Herman. They asked him, you know, how did you play such a demanding piece, something that had you know, so much in it that was going on, and do it so beautifully without any notice and without any rehearsal? How did you do it? Well, Herman, this particular teacher, replied, and I quote, In 1939, when I was a budding young concert pianist, I was arrested and placed in a Nazi concentration camp. Putting it mildly, the future looked bleak, but I knew that in order to keep the flicker of hope alive that I might someday play again, I needed to practice every day. I began by fingering a piece from my repertoire on my bare board bed late one night. The next night I added a second piece, and soon I was running through my entire repertoire. I did this every night, he said, for five years. It so happens that the piece I played tonight at the concert hall was part of that repertoire. That constant practice is what kept my hope alive. And that's the phrase I want you to remember, kept my hope alive. Every day I renewed my hope that I would one day be able to play my music again on a real piano and in freedom. Sometimes living in the world, we need some assistance in keeping hope alive. There are times when we feel like we're in a concentration camp, and we're not even sure we're going to make it through the circumstances that we're dealing with and we're going through. But tonight, from Psalm chapter 16, I I want to give you seven words that will help us to keep hope alive. I thought it would be appropriate tonight for us to have a, a message of encouragement to help us to keep hope alive. If you're discouraged tonight, uh, you're despondent, you're having trouble uh, pressing forward, you're wondering, am I ever going to get out of this prison that I feel like I'm in? Uh, Am I ever going to come out into the sunshine again, or will I live in the shadows for the rest of my life? Uh, Tonight I hope that what you will find in these seven words are things that God wants to help you to keep hope alive knowing that he wants to bring deliverance to you. I invite you to follow along with me as I read uh, these 11 verses of Psalm 16. The psalmist writing, David, says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. O my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance in my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to seek corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I want us to think about this psalm for just a few minutes and I want you to go back with me to the inscription that's found right before the psalm is given. It's called a miktam of David. There are five other psalms that are called by this same designation, a miktam of David, Psalm 56 to 60. So there's six psalms altogether that are given this, uh, this inscription that goes right before the psalm. Something that you might want to know is that we don't know exactly what the word miktam means. There's been different ideas about the understanding of the word. It may simply be a musical designation that we're not familiar with today, much like the term selah or some of the other terms that you find as you read through the Psalms. But I think it's interesting that this word, according to Martin Luther, who followed a medieval scholar, said that this word has a very close second word to it that means gold. And Martin Luther used to say about this particular psalm, Psalm 16, that this is a golden psalm or this is a golden jewel. In looking up some of the things about Mictam and learning some things, I discovered in the archaeological uh, studies of this particular word that The Hebrew term possibly refers to a written testimony of the petitioner that's placed on display in the temple. In other words, they would take a tablet of stone, they would would chisel into that stone the message that they wanted to communicate it, and then that would be put as a constant testimony so that everybody that passed it would stop and they would read it. And this particular testimony comes from David, a testimony about the work of God in his life and about how the Lord encouraged him in his life. And it may be that that's the meaning of the word mictam. What you should note specifically is how many times you find the personal pronouns. You say, why do you tell us every time we go to a passage about this, that, or the other? Because trying to help you learn how to study. I want you to learn how to, you realize the Bible never says read your Bible. It never says read your Bible. It never says read your Bible. It says study your Bible. And if you're going to study, you've got to learn some ways to go about studying your Bible. But if you'll notice how many times he uses the personal pronouns, this is an extremely personal psalm that may well have been inscribed on a tablet of stone as a testimony of David and put inside the temple, somewhere inside the temple, so that when people were coming to the tabernacle, ultimately to the temple, they would have to pass by it and they would read this testimony of David, this witness of David about God's work in his life and God's encouragement uh, to his life. Can you imagine how personal it is he says in the very first verse preserve me O god for in you i put my trust and you ought to just read through i can't show it to you because you can't see it but i colored them in blue and there's dozens of those personal pronouns that's important when you think back about some of the psalms that are written i can think of one particular psalm that especially stands out as a personal psalm of david and that's psalm 23 You remember how personal that psalm is? The Lord is my shepherd. And it goes on through the remainder of that psalm, one personal pronoun after another, talking about this relationship that he has with God, this wonderful communion that he has with God, and how God watches over him, and how God protects him. That's what he's doing in Psalm 16. I have this beautiful relationship with God, I want you to understand the depth of that relationship. One other thing about this before we look specifically at these seven words is to note that the psalm is filled with thanksgiving and joy. In verse 3, you see the word delight. In verse 6, you see the word pleasant where he says pleasant places. Uh, In verse 9, he uses the word glad and rejoices. And then when you get down to verse 11, he talks about pleasures. As a matter of fact, the final two lines of Psalm 16, if you have known Richard Sexton and you have been around Richard Sexton for any length of time, you have heard him quote that last phrase. I have heard him quote it dozens of times. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen, Brother Richard. He's quoted it over and over. This is a psalm that's very personal. This is a witness or a testimony that may well have been inscribed on a stone that sat inside the tabernacle and set inside the temple so that everybody saw it and everybody witnessed the relationship that David had with God and saw the joy that God brought to him out of the relationship that he had with him. Now, in these 11 verses, there are seven words. Actually, these are words that are referred to. Sometimes the words themselves are not there themselves, but they're referred to. What are seven words that we can write down to remember when we find ourselves in hard times and in difficult places for us to keep hope alive? What are those seven words? Well, the first word is the word pray. The first word is the word pray. But what is David doing in verse two? He says, oh, my soul, you have said to the Lord, there's his prayer. You have said to the Lord, you are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. One of the ways that we keep hope alive when we find ourselves in difficult circumstances is that we call out to God through the privilege that he's provided us to come into the very throne room of the Almighty through his sacrifice and to be able to pour our hearts out to him in prayer. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. I was reading recently a blog post. It's a pastor that I follow. He's up in his 80s now. He has written a, f- a few books, but most of what he's written he's, he puts into a blog, and I follow his blog on a regular basis. I need, I need older guys in my life because I'm becoming the older guy. But I need older guys in my life. and A blog post that he wrote here in the last couple of weeks said, Uh, things that i would do differently if i were to begin my ministry again and he went through and he listed some things that he said he would do differently if he could do his ministry again and there was wisdom in what he had to say if i could go back in my life and i could do one thing could do more of one thing that i wish i had done more of it is i would spend more time with god in prayer It's not that I didn't pray. It's not that I haven't prayed. It's not that I don't pray. It's just that I've never felt that I've spent enough time with God in prayer. What an incredible privilege God gives to us and opens a door for us to be able to come before him and to pour our hearts out to him and to tell him exactly what's going on in our lives and to know that he never turns us away. He never pushes us away, but he delights. As a matter of fact, sometimes the things we're going through are precisely to drive us to him, to cause us to seek him in prayer in ways that we haven't sought him before. And I can tell you that when your world is turned upside down and things are going in a direction you never thought they would ever go, you will pray in ways that you've never prayed before. Because there's a reality that comes through your prayers. There's a significance that comes through your prayers in those moments as you pour your heart out to God. But let me ask you a question. Wouldn't it be better if we just poured our hearts out to God all the time? Wouldn't it be better if we just talked to God all the time and didn't have just those moments in the most desperate times of life when we had to go to God like a... Like a a life preserver to, 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 to save us from what we were about to endure and go through. Wouldn't it be better if we had that kind of communion all the time? And that's what David is talking about. He says, My soul, you have said, I, My soul, you said to the Lord, You are my Lord. My soul, you, you said to the Lord, You are my Lord. He's praying, he's calling out to God. What are you praying about? Who are you praying for? What are the things that you need to take to the Lord in prayer? When you find yourself in some of those desperate circumstances, the thing to do is to pray. That's how you keep hope alive. You realize as long as you know the God of heaven, which is if you're a child of God forever, as long as you know the God of heaven is in control and in charge of everything, you can know that the God of heaven hears you and is concerned for you and wants to hear your voice and wants to have fellowship with you. Seven words that keep hope alive. The first one is pray. And we should do what David was doing. We should uh, cry out to God from our souls and say to the Lord, you are my Lord and pray with all of our hearts to him. The second word is the word associate. We should associate with one another. You notice verses three and four. He says, ask for the saints who were on the earth. That's you and me, right? As for the saints who are on the earth, I mean, there are saints in heaven, but we can't really associate with them just quite yet. Some of you are closer than others, but you can't quite associate with them yet. But as for the saints who are on earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Wow. Not only do we pray, but when we find ourselves in difficult circumstances, we associate with the people of God. We find our greatest delight amongst the people of God. Do you delight in gathering together with God's people? Do you delight in being in one another's company? Do you delight in being the family of God, meeting together, and encouraging one another, and praying for one another, and studying the Scripture together, and singing songs of worship together? Do you delight in that? It seems to me in the world in which we live that Christians have lost a delight in their association with the people of God. They're delighted to associate with the theater troupe or to associate with the ball teams or to associate with the educational institutions or associate with the rock crowd or associate with the party crowd. They're delighted to associate with all these different, these different individuals and different groups. But somehow we've lost the interest in the importance of associating together. With the people of God. The the New Testament never prescribes how many times the church is supposed to meet on Sundays. But I can tell you that the New Testament church met far longer on Sundays for their gatherings together than we meet for our gatherings, which makes up about two to maybe two and a half hours at most over the course of a Sunday. They gathered together for a family meal They gathered together for the instruction in the word of God. They gathered together for the baptisms that were to take place. They gathered together for the observance of the Lord's table. They gathered together for fellowship and they wanted to be together. And let me tell you something. If America keeps moving in the direction she is moving, there will be a day when Christians will long to be together with the people of God because they're going to be the ones hunted by the enemies of God. And they're going to recognize the importance of the association that we have with each other. And by the way, the people you associate with most, I don't mean that you have interaction with on a regular basis that are not really, you're opening your life up to them and spending time, deep time with them. Do you realize that the people that you associate with most are the people you become like most? We associate together with the people of God that we might learn from one another, we might be encouraged from one another Isn't it great when you come and somebody else pats you on the back and says, I love you, I'm praying for you, I'm I'm thinking about you, you're important to me? Isn't it nice when you know the family of God? Now, sometimes we've been guilty of shooting our wounded. It's always a terrible thing for us to do. But more often than not, people come together, and we encourage one another, and we lift up one another, and we help one another to be better when I was, uh, used to play golf on a regular basis, I loved to play golf with people who were better than me. And the reason was because the uh, opportunity of association with somebody who was a better golfer than you were Raise the level of your game you learned things from watching them you saw things that became a part of your experience and you knew what to do in a given situation so it was always great to have somebody else in the group that you knew you were going to lose the match to but they were better than you were because in the midst of doing so and associating with them you were improving in the process did y'all follow that Same same thing is true when it comes to the family of God. Now, none of us are better than one another, but some of us are more mature than one another. Some of us know more Scripture than others know. Some of us have walked with the Lord longer than others have walked with the Lord. Some of us have gone through some things, and we've gained some wisdom that comes from going through those things. And when we associate together, can I tell you, the younger crowd is missing it to gather the wisdom and the insight in the understanding that comes from those of us who have this color hair. By the way, not everybody who has this color hair is wise. And not everybody who has their hair and it's still dark is a fool. But those of us who have at least gone through the stage of gray hair till it turned loose, (laughs) we've learned some things, haven't we? We've been through some things. Uh, I didn't like it when I was a kid, but my mother um, visited uh, elderly women in their homes, people that they had known. One of them was Mrs. Bobo. That's her last name, Mrs. Bobo. She lived in Forest Park, Georgia, which is 15 miles from where we lived in Decatur, 10 to 15 miles from where we lived in Decatur. And once a week, we would go to Mrs. Bobo's house. This is during the summer when I'm not in school. Once a week, during the course of the week, we would go to Mrs. Bobo's house. And I would sit there, and I was bored to tears. You know what kids do when they get bored to tears? Mother would send me out to the backyard to play. fence; She had a fenced-in yard. Her husband was deceased. And she'd send me out to the backyard to play in the backyard. But you know what? I look back all those years, and though I was bored to tears sometimes being at her house sitting there sometimes and listening to those two women talk about the things of God are things that I'll never forget. They're things that that I will never forget. Those are things that I will remember, that I will hold on to. I associated with the people of God. I'm not saying we shouldn't associate with people that aren't the people of God ever, but we ought to make sure that we're associating most definitely with those who are the children of God. The gatherings of the, of the church, the gatherings of believers are valuable. I commend you tonight. I'm not preaching at you. I'm commending you tonight for associating that's one of the ways you keep hope alive do you know some of the most wonderful things uh, when i've gone through some some trials in my own life are to sit down with somebody who says you know i've been through something sort of like what you're going through and just listen to them talk and just gain the understanding and the insight and the wisdom and come to know you know what if they can do it i can do it too you get what i'm saying you keep hope alive by praying and pouring your heart out to God and calling on him and telling him what's going on in your life. You keep hope alive by associating with godly people, gathering with the people of God and enjoying the worship of God. A third word is the word reflect, down in verse 6, if you will, verses 5 and 6. He says, O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup you maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. What is, what's he doing? He's remembering. He's reflecting. He's recalling. I mean, the, the lines have fallen to me in, in pleasant places. I, I have a good inheritance. I have this portion of inheritance that's been given to me, my cup, I mean, Lord, you have provided these things for me. And when we find ourselves surrounded by struggles and difficulties, one of the ways that we keep hope alive is by reflecting. We stop and we count our blessings. We name them one by one, and it will surprise us what the Lord has done. Are you as forgetful as I am? Um, I don't mean because you're struggling with your memory. Are you as forgetful as I am? It is so easy for me to forget the multiplied blessings that God has poured out again and again and again and again and again. It is so easy for me to take for granted the things that God has done in my life again and again and again and again and again. again. And sometimes when you find yourself and you're struggling and you're surrounded by troubles and trials and tribulations and you wonder if you're ever going to come out, you're like that man named Herman. Will I ever get out of this prison, this Nazi prison? Will I ever play the piano again? Will I ever have freedom again? You just stop and you reflect on all the things that God has already done and all the things that God has already provided May I mention most notably amongst those is our eternal life, that we are the possessors of eternal life because of the gift that Christ has made available to us because it is a gift that he has made available to us. And that's a great place to start. But then go beyond that and think about the things that God has bestowed upon you. Have you noticed that we live in a society that's less grateful, it seems, I'm being judgmental, but it seems less grateful with every year that passes. We rarely stop to reflect on what has been accomplished and what has been done and what God is doing and what God has done, and we just complain about what we want that we don't have. And we never stop to reflect and say, Lord, thank you. For the many things that you have already provided. And that brings me to the fourth word. We're going to pray. We're going to associate. We're going to reflect. We're going to give thanks. The word's thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. You see verse 7? What does the psalmist David say? I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. The Hebrew word for bless means to speak well of. To speak well of. Or if you will, in the context which we're talking about, it it means to praise him. I will praise the Lord. I will give thanks to God. It's not enough to just simply reflect and be reminded of what God has done and the inheritance and the blessings that he's bestowed. But it is then to turn those things into thanksgiving to God and say outwardly and publicly, Lord, I thank you. I love when we have testimony services uh, in our church. We don't do that regularly, but periodically. And people stand up and they give thanks to the Lord. Maybe we'll do that at the end. Maybe we'll do that at the end. They stand up and they give thanks to the Lord for something. Thanks to the Lord for something. It's not enough to reflect and be reminded of the goodness of God that's already been bestowed, but then you take that reflection and you turn it into thanksgiving, and you say, oh God, thank you. Thank you for being so good to me. You realize we deserve hell? We deserve to be separated from God once and for all and forever. Would you have sent one of your children to save anybody in this world? And yet God sent the best of heaven his son, the Lord Jesus, to save us from our sins. We reflect on the blessings and on the inheritance, on the benefits that God has given to us, and then we turn those things into thanksgiving, and we lift up our voices, and we bless the Lord. We speak well of the Lord. Wouldn't it be wonderful if Christians walk through this week, just the Christians that are in our church, just walk through this week, and rather than criticism and complaining and griping, we thanked the Lord. We thank the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the sun that rose this morning. Thank you, Lord, that it was hot, but I had an air-conditioned office or an air-conditioned house to be able to be in, and the humidity wasn't so bad that my hair fell. That's for you ladies. <laughs> that my hair fell. Hey, listen, if you've lived in Florida, you know what it's like. In Florida, you can't, you can't curl your hair. I know I've tried you can't curl your hair thank you Lord that I've got air conditioning thank you Lord that we've got pews that we can sit on and I didn't have to bring my own padding for the pew thank you Lord for a place to meet a place to have freedom where we can meet and enjoy the worship of God thank you Lord for my friends that I see when I come together and the friends that I bump into when I'm going through the day. Thank you, Lord, that I have a job that puts a a, a roof over my head and food on my table. Thank you, Lord, that I got retirement. That's where most of us are. Thank you that I got retirement so that I don't have to worry about how I'm going to live out the rest of my life. And thank you for social security. Will y'all please not destroy it before I get there? Thank you, Lord, for Social Security that I've been paying into all of my life and now I'm collecting from. And by the way, thank you, Lord, for Medicare because my insurance dropped in price in a huge way. Right? Do you see what I'm saying? Thank you Lord that I can see through my eyes and I can smell with my nose and I can hear with my ears and I can walk on my feet even if my feet tingle and my feet are numb I can walk on my feet thank you Lord that I've got a car to get to church to and I don't have to I don't have to what do you do when you bring horses together what do you what do you call it rustle up the horses I don't have to rustle up the horses I don't have to rustle up the horses and hitch them to a wagon and ride on something that has no, it has no shock absorbers in them. It takes away all the bumps on the road. Thank you, Lord. Right? Hey, we got horsepower. It's just of a different kind. I watched the horses run yesterday in New York. I don't ever gamble. I've never gambled that, I've, that I know of. The biggest gamble we've ever taken was when Mary married me. That was the biggest gamble we've ever taken. <laughs> I don't, I don't gamble. I don't gamble online. I don't gamble on my phone. I don't gamble if I go to a place that has it. I didn't gamble when I went to, to Greenbrier. We were sitting right next to it. I tossed a few quarters that direction, but I don't gamble. I don't gamble. <laughs> God is good, isn't he? And we stop and we give thanks. We pray, we associate, we reflect thanksgiving The fifth word is the word obey. What do we do when we find ourselves and we're surrounded by struggles and troubles and we wonder, am I going to get through this? I feel like I'm in an internment camp. I just want to be delivered. Will I ever play the piano again? Will I ever be able to have music and freedom again? And the Lord says, you pray and you associate and you reflect and you give thanks. Thanksgiving and you obey. When you find yourself surrounded by troubles, that's not the time to decide you're going to do something other than obey. Look at the second half of verse 7. He said, My heart also instructs me. It instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. Where is the Lord? Always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. He puts the Lord before him. The Lord is at my right hand. By the way, that's the place of power. And you notice that the Lord comes and is at David's right hand. Usually when we think of going to someone's right hand, we think of the son going to the father's right hand. That's a place of authority. That's a place of power. But here the Lord comes to David's right hand. And he says, I'm giving you power. Even in the midst of your your troubles and your struggles, I'm giving you power. And you find yourself in the midst of circumstances, that's the time to do what you know you're supposed to do, whether you feel it or you don't feel it. Whether it seems easy or it seems hard. Whether you want to or you don't want to. You just do what God tells you to do and you obey the Lord because you know that obeying the Lord is the best way experience the continued blessings of God God blesses obedience he doesn't say anything about how you have to feel about it God blesses obedience when our children were growing up when my children did what I asked them to do whether they wanted to do it or not they made me happy and when they made me happy you know what I wanted to do I wanted to do something for them. I wanted to do more, I was more favorable in their direction. Y'all, y'all hear? When we obey the Lord even in the difficult circumstances of life, we are pleasing our Father, and we are predisposing Him toward us to pour out even more blessings, to come to our right hand and to be our strength and to be with us in our circumstances. Do you get it? You obey God. You obey God. I I don't know how to express this enough. You just obey God. Are you like this? I think most of you in this room are like this are you here tonight. Uh, I never questioned where I was going to be on Sunday. I never questioned where I was going to be on Sunday. You never had a question. It was never, are we going to church today? It was never even asked. It 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 was never even an option. It didn't matter whether there was golf, on that afternoon or that morning or whether it was a baseball game or whether it was something else we thought we might like to do. We, 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 we missed when we were sick, and we missed when we were on vacation. Every other time, we were there all the time. Yeah. You say, surely you didn't appreciate that. I might not have at those moments. But at these moments in my life, I thank God that my parents didn't give me the option. Today, kids, have got every option available, every option imaginable. Well, let's go do that. Let's go do that. My friends are going here. My friends are going there. They're going every possible way. I understand. There's always going to be things tugging you away from God. But when you find yourself being tugged away from God... That's the time. And here's the thing. Well, I just don't feel like it. I just don't I don't like it over there. Sometimes I don't like those people over there. Is that a reason not to go to church? To disobey God? You say, well, I I just when I pray, it's like my prayers don't get past the ceiling. Is, Is that a reason not to pray? Well, I just don't feel thankful in my heart. Is that a reason not to give thanks to God? Or I get tired of reflecting and remembering all the good things that God has done for me. Is is that a reason to stop reflecting and remembering? Or when you say, Lord, you know, you just keep obeying. You just keep obeying. I commend you tonight. You just keep obeying. You just keep doing what God says to do. God blesses, though you please the Father when you obey Him, and God blesses His children in response to obedience. Right? Number six, the sixth word, and I'm almost through here, is the word cling. You cling. You pray. You associate. You reflect. Thanksgiving. You obey. You cling. Uh, Look at uh, verses 10 and 11. 10 and 11. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I might mention to you that verses 8, 9, and 10 are the messianic part of this psalm. In other words, David is talking about something that's happening to him. But the psalm clearly means more than David himself. It's looking forward to the future. And actually, both Paul and Peter quote from verses 8, 9, and 10. Peter does in Acts chapter 2. Paul does in Acts chapter 13, referring to Jesus Christ. David, yes, it applies to David, but it applied beyond David. There's messianic implications in what's being said. But listen to what he says. He's clinging to God. You'll not allow your Holy One to see corruption. You ought to just circle that little phrase. That's one of the clearest Old Testament references to resurrection. There's another in Isaiah 26 and another in Daniel chapter 12. But that's one of the clearest references to resurrection. And what's David doing? He's clinging to the promises of God. You'll show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. He's clinging to the promises of God. He's holding on to the promises and refusing to let go of them. By the way, that's a great thing to do when your world is turned upside down. Grab a promise and squeeze the life out of it. Hold on to it. And don't let go of it. Memorize it and quote it every day that you have to quote it. And the final word is the word trust. I take you all the way back to verse 1. I saved this word for the last word. It could have gone as the first word. But I take you all the way back to verse 1. Because here's what's behind praying and associating and reflecting and thanksgiving and obeying and clinging. Here's what's behind it. Verse 1. Preserve me, O God. For in you do I put my, what? Trust. trust. If we trusted Jesus for eternal life, don't you think we should trust Him every day of our lives? Amen. If we trusted the Lord to save us from our sins, don't you think we should trust Him every day for the things in life that we need? Uh, grant, granted, that's a, that's a growing process. That's a learning process. That's a maturing process, and God puts you through things, and you learn to trust him in the midst of those things. People say, well, if I'm going through troubles, this is what God's going to do to me. I'm going to walk away from him. That's the most foolish thing you could ever possibly say. When you're going through troubles, that's when you trust him more than you've ever trusted him. Even when you don't understand what it is that's happening or why it's happening, you say, Lord, I trust you period. Nothing will keep me from trusting you. I may not understand it. I may, have to re- I may have to pray with the centurion, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief, but I will not stop trusting God. I will not abandon my faith in the darkest of the night. You know why? Because it's not always going to be a dark night. And the day is going to come again. And you're going to regret having not trusted him through the night because now you got to go through another test to learn again that you ought to trust him in the night. When I go through troubles is when I go through stuff. Preachers never go through much stuff. We don't really have very many things that are troubling or problemsome to us. We sort of walk on water most days. Actually, we float on clouds every other day. We only work Sundays and Wednesdays. And we, we have a, a joyous time of, of just playing most of the time. Life is pretty easy. I mean, I, I live in a church world. I don't have to deal with as much of the business world as you have to deal with the business world. Most of everybody I'm around are Christians. Most of the time, that's why I have to really work hard at reaching non believers, because there's not that many non believers around me. I have to work hard at finding them to be able to reach. So my life is pretty simple. I don't have to do much. I just show up on Sundays and uh, think of something to say for you. Give it to you, deliver it, and go home. That's what I do. Pick up my check every other week. Amanda gives me my check every other week. Actually, I've never seen the check, but (laughs) she says she gives me the check every other week. It's an easy life. I I think my children would say that I think my children, my family would say, Dad may have been shaken by what he went through, but he didn't stop trusting God. They might say the earth around him was shaking under his feet, and we were worried about him, but I don't think they'll ever say he turned his back on God and stopped trusting God. When your world is turned upside down, That's the time to trust him more than you've ever trusted him. And if you don't have faith, you ask him for it. And you cling to his promises.